Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about the Grimke sisters. Sarah Grimke was born in 1792 on a slave-owning plantation. Her father held all of his many children to a very high standard, forcing them to work in the field side by side with their father's unpaid workforce. This close contact gave Sarah a heart for the people she lived her life beside. At age five, she witnessed a slave being brutally beaten on her father's farm. She was so horrified by the event that the tiny girl immediately packed her things and tried to catch a steamership to a land with no slavery. Sadly, at the time, this was like Dorothy Gale hoping to escape to a place where there isn't any trouble. There was no place in 1797 that was accessible to a five-year-old girl. There are still parts of the world today where there's slavery, so she, uh, she didn't have many places to run away to to meet that dream. At age 12, Sarah became godmother to her newborn sister, Angelina, who would prefer to be called by her middle name, Emily. Sarah vowed, quote, to guide and direct this precious child. This promise would cement what would become the defining relationship for both women. In 1819, Sarah traveled from Charleston to Philadelphia to look after her father as he received medical care. Here she had her first encounter with Quakerism. When her father passed away and she returned to Charleston, the abuse of slaves, which had always bothered her, had now become unbearable to witness. She compared it to a canker sore, which she was incessantly gnawing. She was forced to witness suffering with no means of easing that agony. Unable to take it, she converted to Quakerism and moved to Philadelphia, and she was followed in a few years in both by her dear sister Emily. Their move and their abolitionist views made the girls outcasts in the South. Unfortunately, one of Emily's passionate anti-slavery labor, er, letters was published without her permission. While abolition was le- or sorry, abolitionism was less frowned upon in the North, it was not acceptable in the Quaker community for a woman to be both strongly opinionated and highly outspoken. Thus, both women were alienated by the Quaker community that they had left their home for. As Emily wrote, If persecution is the means which God has ordained for the accomplishment of this great end, emancipation, then I feel as if I could say, let it come, for it is my deep and solemn deliberate conviction that this is a cause worth dying for. And she meant it, for the sisters' desire to aid the anti-slave movement would force them into a social movement that they were very reluctant to get involved with. You see, they were between a rock and a hard place. They had grown up around slavery and saw it as their life's mission to strike it down. They wrote many letters and pamphlets encouraging women to press their influence on the men in their lives in order to bring attention to the issue, but this didn't seem to be getting them anywhere. In order to have the power to fight slavery, they needed to have the power to fight it themselves. The Grimke sisters felt that if they wanted to influence the political state as women, then women needed more political power. In that day, as in this, those with a religious upbringing took many moral issues with the feminist movement for many of the same reasons that we still do. The Grimke sisters longed to save lives, and the feminist movement longed to take them. The abolitionists longed to serve, and the feminists longed to be served and applauded for selfishness. The sisters saw others as their responsibility, while this other movement sought to be free of any responsibility for their own choices. The partnership would not have been a natural fit at all were it not for one thing, free speech. To be able to speak for others, they first needed to be able to speak. Thus, it was that the Grimke sisters reluctantly joined the fight for women's rights in order to better join the cause for human rights. 
They were equally reluctant to rise both to fame as the first nationally known white women to join the cause of abolition. They saw freeing the slaves as their duties, their Christian duty. Unlike those who protest to get attention, virtue signal, or air their grievances, the Grimke sisters took political action as simply one more step in devoting their lives to others. They had grown up illegally teaching slaves to read and helping their mixed-race nephews to receive a proper, upstanding education. Sarah's own father once said that she was so clever that she could have been the finest lawyer in South Carolina if she was a man. They joined this fight because it was what they felt they had to do, not because it was what they wanted to do. Still, with the knowledge of the law, Sarah knew that it was not a fight that they were taking on alone. Slavery was always going to fall in America. It was always meant to. The foundation of freedom was built within the very founding documents that began this country. The law was structured as such that while slavery was still illegal in Sarah's time, it could not always be. Each word was carefully chosen to emphasize as such. When, in the course of human events, it becomes, becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them to another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governors, that whenever any form of government begins destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem the most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience shall hewn, that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. While this was written in the Declaration in reference to our moral rights to separate from England, it was deliberately written with a dual meaning a meaning that would encourage the sisters to take up arms, metaphorically, of course, they were Quakers, calm down, guys, <laughs> for another cause, no matter what the cost. So today's story is the lives of the Grimke sisters. I think part of why I find them so interesting is my youngest brother and I are almost the exact amount apart in age that the two Grimke sisters were. We are just shy of 12 years apart and you do have that feeling as the older sibling that it's kind of your responsibility to look out for your younger sibling and kind of try to lead them down the path that you think is wisest for them while at the same time understanding you're not their parent nor are you they themselves and so you can't make their decisions for them but you still want to be a good influence and I think Sarah felt that very powerfully while near the end of her life Sarah 
would be more deeply entrenched in the feminist movement than Emily. Emily continued to devote most of her energy to the abolition of slavery, but both women saw that as their primary cause. So while their traditional beliefs did not line up very well with those of feminism, they understood that in order to have the right to speak for the abolition of slavery, they first had to have the right to speak. And so they kind of accidentally got sucked into the feminist movement. A lot of the very serious movers and shakers of the feminist movement really loved the Grimke sisters, but I think they also kind of wanted the sisters there as kind of a show of balance to be like, okay, see, we're not all super crazy, super liberal, super far extremist. There are these two calm little Quaker sisters that just want the right to abolish slavery. And I think that that, they were kind of the token less rebellious, um, less rebellious feminists at the time, which it was a very different feminist movement at the time, but it was always kind of founded in the same beliefs that it has today. And the, the sisters as devoutly religious women were kind of reluctant to take on, you know, a movement that espoused what to them would have been women you know, leaving their appropriate and much needed place in the regular household. So they were very reluctant to join this feminist movement. But in the end, they did see it as their Christian duty, their duty to God to see that, as the Constitution says, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. They saw that as their responsibility. And so in order to fight for that responsibility, for those rights, they had to first fight for these other rights. And so I can only imagine how conflicted they were going through all of this, that, you know, we have to join this cause that we only slightly agree with in order to accomplish the cause to which we have devoted our entire lives. It must have been really, really difficult for them, Um, you know, but we've all had jobs where we had certain things that we thought were kind of shady, but we had to, do, had to do them to accomplish the greater goal of that whole job. And I kind of wonder if that's how Sarah and Emily saw this, you know, have this requirement to embrace a more feminist belief in order to be able to accomplish the abolition of slavery. I don't know. But every source I found, found that they were both pretty reluctant to join the one cause. They started their first several years. They started by trying to encourage women to have a greater influence within their own household. You know, in one of the letters, I think it was from Emily, says something about you may not be able to vote or pass laws yourself, but you are the mothers and daughters and sisters of people who can and use that influence but it just it didn't seem to be making any kind of difference and i think perhaps part of this was just impatient on the grimke impatience on the grimke sisters part changes to an entire country tend not to happen within you know an overnight kind of status especially changes for the positive they tend to move like a glacier right and i think the sisters wanted to see these big radical extreme changes because these changes are what was best for humanity to be able to accomplish the abolition of slavery but i think they were unwilling to recognize that that big of a positive change is something that's not going to happen overnight and so they got impatient and I think kind of moved into a movement that they were a little less comfortable with in order to accomplish their goal of of helping with the civil rights movement. But either way, Sarah and Emily Grimke from right here in Charleston were some of the first white women to be nationally known for their work 
to help with the abolition of slavery, and I th- think they uh, deserved to be touched on for a segment here in Southern Fried Storytime because it is a very interesting story, and it is one that comes from right here in Charleston. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty conflicted <laughs> on this particular story because I do feel badly that they were pushed to fight for something they didn't believe in as much in order to fight for something that they did, but I don't know. It's, it's just kind of an interesting story. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It, you don't see too many people who come from plantations where, you know, your father and your family made their their fortune off this particular institution only for you to grow up and passionately fight that institution to such an extent that you have to leave your family. And then they left the family to become Quakers. And apparently the Quakers were pro-abolition, but they were not so fond of having loud-spoken opinionated women amongst their group. So these these women just had a terrible time finding exactly where they fit, which kind of makes me wonder, were they still alive today? Where would they fit into our society today? It's hard to say, but um, I want to leave you to kind of form your own conclusions about the sisters. I still don't know where I stand. I think a lot of their causes and the extreme to which they were willing to go for those causes was admirable and heroic. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about having to compromise your principles in order to obtain those causes, though. So let me know what you think, and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and a happy St. Patrick's Day. Be safe, and I can't wait to talk to you next week about beautiful, beautiful Benny Seeds. Have a good one. <laughs>